Welcome back to the Cult House Podcast. I'm your host, the scholar of spite and the Saturday Night Delight, Roger Riddell. Joining me today to bring a little bit of blasphemy from the UK, he is the man behind the publishing house, Cult Never Dies, and the author of Black Metal, Evolution of the Cult, Dale Patterson. How are you doing today, Dale? I'm good. I'm good. It's a little bit later here than it is there, I think. So it's uh, Friday night here. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm based then? in Chicago. So uh, yeah, there's a little what bit of time, time there. It's uh 5:30. Ah, what's been more civilizing? <laughs> yeah, and um so you've got a uh revised and expanded edition of Black Metal Evolution of the Cult out now uh through Decibel Books and uh you know you've got another version of it coming out through Cult Never Dies. Uh tell me a little bit about uh you know what's new uh because i know it's the the original version came out like 10 years ago right right almost exactly 10 years ago this was a kind of um a 10-year anniversary and uh you know i'd wanted to buy the rights back to that book almost as soon well basically as soon as it was released it was um it was the only book that i wrote that wasn't released um on my publishing house and I was never very happy with the original release and there was a lot of things I wanted to change about it. Um, the, the book was much shorter than I had intended it to be. Uh, and the, the original publishing house had set a, a word count that wasn't big enough to tell the story, which is fair enough because they were publishing the book and, um, you know, uh, it was up to them the size of the book that they wanted to release, but it, it, it wasn't enough to tell the story. And so I'd always, that was kind of always my dream in some ways was to buy the rights back and kind of do it properly. And so I bought the rights back about a year ago. And uh, what started off as a, as a sort of expanded edition turned into what, what's essentially a whole new book, I would say, you know, I think that's the hardest thing actually in is a, uh, in releasing this book is trying to show people who haven't got the two books in front of them kind of just how different this book is and i'm seeing now that people are receiving their copies on social media and it's quite gratifying that people are saying you know this is a big different you know this is a, a very different book to the original and it, it is a very different book you know everything was rewritten uh there's 25 new chapters out of 50 so that's you know 50% edition um and in terms of you know this the, the original edition had 300 photographs this one has 650 uh the original book was 200,000 words this one is about 350,000 words so it's a huge it's it's somewhere between an expanded edition and a sequel really but it, the the idea was to uh create a definitive edition that would replace the original and kind of um to be what I always pictured the book to be and and then something else, I guess. And I think it's achieved that, you know, the reviews have been very positive and um, 
of the 30 books we've released, I think it's probably the most important so far, you know? Yeah, I mean, I know that the original version has been viewed for a long time as sort of a definitive guide to black metal by a lot of people. But, um, you know, this new version, at a, a whopping like 800 pages is just, uh, um, it really does kind of, you know, set itself apart as a definitive guide to anyone who's interested in the genre. Yeah, absolutely. I would hope, you know, that's what the aim is. And uh, I think it's hard to be object, you know, it's hard to speak about this in the third person, but it, I would consider it to be the definitive book about black metal. Obviously, that's not a very modest thing to say, but, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have released it if it wasn't that. It had to be that. Um, you know, the original book I worked on for four years, and this new edition I was working on kind of for 13, 14 months, but just seven days a week, you know, 14 hours a day. And uh, yeah, it had to be everything that, you know, I wanted it to be. There couldn't be any kind of compromise on this one. I think it was a sort of um, slightly irrational kind of project to take on. You know, it was quite expensive to buy the rights back and, uh, you know, as far as the company went, because obviously it was originally published with Cold Never Dies and we've licensed it to Decibel, who we work with closely. And um, yeah, from a from a business point of view, it wasn't a sensible thing to do because not only was it very expensive, but I, I had to sort of stop producing other books. You know, normally we produce four books a year. Last year, we just released this one. So it was... Um, but it was something I felt I had to do. And I think it was something that um, I'd waited so long to do that uh, it kind of justified itself on, it's kind of my, yeah, like a creative, creative endeavor rather than a sort of, you know, a business, a business endeavor from a, the sensible thing to do would not to have been to release this book or to release it in a couple of years or, but it was always in the back of my mind that that book wasn't quite right. And so, because that book has kind of been the foundation for all the other books we've released, it, it sort of had to be righted. And now, now that's, I think, perfect or as close as I can make it be perfect. So now it, uh, it presents a good, um, yeah, a good foundation for the other books, the sequel, you know, the sequels and the books that have come from that book, like the Ross and Christ biography, and uh, it all kind of, yeah, it feels like the cycle is kind of complete now. So it's a great relief, I have to say. Yeah, and I'm really excited to get a physical copy of it, uh, you know, here in the, the coming week or so. Um, I've seen the review copy and it's just like beautifully done. And then um, just based on like other books that I've gotten. So I've got, you know, Colt Never Dies, uh, uh, the decibel release of it. Yeah, um, and you know they just all these the hardcovers are just beautifully done. Um, Absolutely, yeah, and it's good to see it in hardcover. You know, the original I I'd always envisaged it as a hardcover kind of coffee table style book, and um, it it wasn't that in its original form. So it's it's good to have it. You know, as I saw it back in two thousand and nine. You know, when I started it, so. Um, yeah, no, I'm very happy with it. And, uh, you know, the cover's a lot better, the layout's a lot better, the writing is better. Obviously, you improve as a writer over, you know, 13 years, and uh, or you hope you do. And um, 
and just the just the sheer number of people that are involved makes it made a big difference i think um the original book had i think 75 people interviewed or 70 people the new books 160 people so it, it was about kind of given a broader perspective and, and just a broader picture of this um movement and phenomena um because that was always the point really to show you know the point was always to show that black metal wasn't just about Norway from 91 to 93, Mayhem, Bears and Dark Throne. It was to show that it was something that started in the early 80s and was an international movement. And that was one of the things I enjoyed most about writing the new book was that, um, you know, there's a whole section on Brazil, on Sweden, on Greece, uh, UK, the US. So there was a more of a chance to... It was always about that in the first place, but having more space allowed me to to um, talk to more bands from around the world and just kind of paint a broader picture about what black metal is, which I would say was a um, uh, an international, you know, an international phenomena, uh, um, and something which was which predated the Norwegian explosion and came, and then continued after it. As important as Norway is to the whole story, I didn't. I felt before that uh, a lot of people who made books and articles and films, they reduced black metal to be an almost a kind of caricature, which was based around Norway from 91 to 93. And I wanted to expand the picture. So having having more space and having full control just allowed us to kind of keep expanding, you know. And also, the, the you know, it must be said that um, it wasn't a solo effort. The... Um, the original book was uh, edited by, you know, it was a good editor, but somebody that wasn't from the black metal scene, whereas the new edition had uh, five or six editors from Cold Never Die, you know, from the Cold Never Dies family. So, so that was people that were kind of well-versed in black metal and were kind of from this world. And I think that, I think that allowed there to be a lot more objectivity maybe or, yeah, it's definitely. Um, although I was steering the ship, it's, there was definitely kind of um, a broader, a broader input as well as a broader output. I hope. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I really like about uh, the way that you approached the book is that you wrote it in a way where, rather than you know, you kind of putting words into people's mouths or um, maybe like providing your own analysis of it you arranged it in a way that you're letting the people who were involved tell a story and it's something that i think that like albert also did well uh with his book choosing death which you know there's i've got you know this here too but um i think that the it's kind of like similar to the way that an oral history like tells a story through just like the quotes of of everyone that's involved in it this is it it feels kind of like a, a a more prosaic like form of that where um you feel like you're you're basically like listening to the story being told by the people that the author talked to and not the author relaying the story to you which i feel is very engaging for this kind of book yeah absolutely and that was always the aim you know i think uh until at least the last chapter the book is essentially um, providing a voice to the people who are involved. And it's not really about me telling 
telling the story so much as kind of organizing everyone else's stories to the to the reader i guess you know this i think what i aimed for was a kind of intimate you know that kind of intimacy where the people you speak to are comfortable enough to speak openly and honestly and you just provide a kind of medium for them to reach the reader and i think that that was always the aim it's not um it's not about i think some people who haven't read these books think that the because i've seen comments before from people before they've read them and then they usually realize that that's not how it is but i think they some people might think that i'm just releasing multiple books with me talking about what i think about black metal which isn't what it's about it's uh you know the books are essentially a medium for the people involved to tell their story so if you read the mystifier chapter that's the guys from mystifier speaking to the reader you know if you read the immortal chapter or the you know whatever even the burzum chapter or the you know Mr. Come chapter, whatever it is, is it you're you're hopefully getting uh you're getting context in the editorial from me, of course, but the the story is coming from the people that made it happen. So every every chapter and that's increased with the new edition. So for example, with um let's see, um so the Thorns chapter, for example, was originally there's a quite a long interview with Snora from who's the main guy from Thorns, but for the new edition, you also have Marius Vold, who is the co-founder, and just having a second kind of um, eyewitness to that early days gives a you know you opens up so much more and gives so much more of a picture of how it was the snapshot of you know what was Thorns you know in 1989 or 1991 or whatever. And um, so that's good that that comes across. I think it's, you know, it's 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 really, uh, I'm not somebody that necessarily, uh, I'm not a mod, you know, I'm not a, um, how can I put it? Um, I'm not necessarily a modest or uh, shy person. You know, I'm quite happy to, to talk about all this stuff and and you know um i know i'm creating a good a good product but at the same time it's like when i write i'm not somebody i'm not a writer that pushes themselves to the forefront you know i'm not trying to insert myself into the story which i think is a bit of a problem with some music journalists and some people that have covered black metal in the past is they kind of they had a worldview before they came in or a, a theory and they've sort of crowbarred it into the story you know whether it's about um black metal is about this sort of band or this sort of ideology and then they sort of fit, fit a story around that whereas i was always trying to kind of get the evidence first and then tell a story you know not that i had no preconceptions because i've been in this scene for, you know since the mid 90s but at least when i interview each person or you know when i'm talking about each band or talking to each band it's definitely about not trying to kind of impose a story upon them and just, you know, I want to be surprised by those people. You know, if I'm into a band and all the bands in this book I'm interested in, obviously, I'm um, I'm happy to be surprised or I'm happy if they tell me the inspiration of something other than what I expected. 
And I think that's how how you get a more complete story because there's a sort of honesty there, which I hope comes through. And um, yeah, I'm happy that you say that. It's uh, I would never want it to be like Day Owl tells you about black metal. It's like, you know, Day Owl allows the bands to tell you about black metal, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, to the point that, that you were making, like it's um, the presupposition of what an outcome of a story is going to be before you've really reported and written it is kind of a thing that um, just as like an editor and journalist uh, now with like the you know decade of experience that I have, uh, when I'm working with younger journalists, sometimes I have to, um, you know, sort of remind them of that. Like you can't go into a story just assuming that a certain outcome is going to happen to it. You have to let the story tell itself. Yeah. And then, you know, that was the, the, uh, that's what made me write this book in the first place or write, start writing books about extreme metal, especially black metal is that, um, in the mid nine, sorry, the mid two thousands, it just seemed like every, you know, there were so many people that wanted to tell, tell the story of black metal. I understand why, because it's very, you know, if you're not from that world, it's already very kind of exciting, you know, the, the way the bands look and the way the bands sound and the stories and the legend, you know, I can see why that attracts people, but the people that were writing books and making documentaries and writing articles and papers they weren't from the black metal scene. They didn't. They didn't really care about the black metal scene. So they were kind of regurgitating the same stories, and they had their. I think most of the people who were doing that had their own. I guess theory. Um, you know, some of them. There were some writers and who, you know, they felt that black metal was the. Uh, resurrection of the heathen spirit of Europe or maybe they felt that it was to do with like you know pure it's purely a satanic phenomena or um, this is something that was born in the 90s you know and had you know the 80s bands were just some sort of little precursor to it they all they all had these things and you could just see it kind of coming through their work the documentaries the books uh, the articles it, it, they were sort of, they were trying to justify the story they already had, and uh, yeah, I think that I think this book is the opposite of that. It's more about trying to really, it, it's about really digging into the different motivations and worldviews, and you know, I think that's in that sense we're quite lucky with black metal because it is a genre where, at least until recently, most of the musicians were doing they were motivated by something more than just like, let's make a good riff or something, you know, that there's yeah. always been an ideology or a worldview and um, not necessarily worldviews that um, fit comfortably together. You know, it's kind of black metal has a lot of paradoxes and uh, conflicts within it, but, but at least there's always something more than just, it sounds cool, you know, like it's more, it's, it's about more than that. I'm not, I'm not saying that, there's anything wrong with bands that make music just to sound cool but you know i used to interview bands for metal magazines and you know there were certain genres where you you couldn't read there wasn't really a message there wasn't really anything behind it it was you know you talk you talk to the musicians to try and dig deeper and it was essentially like yeah we made this it's a cool beat this is a cool riff and that's fine but 
you probably couldn't write a book about those sort of bands. And I think with black metal, it's it, it, I'm quite lucky, and the, maybe the, the people that are into black metal are quite lucky because generally the people involved have a lot more to say. It might not always be rational or, you know, make sense or whatever, but um, there's definitely a there's definitely a higher motivation to it all, you know, and uh, that gives a lot of fuel for this sort of anal analysis and this sort of, I guess, kind of uh, passionate uh, exploration, you know, it, it, there's, there's so much ideologies, worldviews, musical perspectives, um, spiritual views, it, it, there's so much depth and, 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 uh, variety to it that it keeps me as a writer interested and i think hopefully that comes across in the, in the books you know yeah yeah i mean what you're saying about all the the paradoxes and conflicts within the genre as well um just reminded me that in the mid 2000s when i was in college i had uh, a philosophy and uh humanities professor for a couple of classes who um had done a lot of research on like nihilism and Nietzsche and I had gotten him into black metal at one point right. because I was like, you know, you might be interested in this as sort of uh, a modern extension of, you know, some of these things. Yeah. And he was just really stricken by looking at it from the perspective that it was a very postmodern form of music because of those paradoxes and, um, and, and conflicts. It's very primitive, but it's also complex and, you know, you get yeah. into like the symphonic side of it and you're mixing this primitive thing with this very complicated orchestral thing. Yeah, I mean, I've always said black metal is, um, you know, and this is one of the points in the book is that black metal is defined by its, well, by its duality and its plurality, really. You know, black metal can be completely barbaric and primitive or it can be completely sophisticated and, you know, cutting edge really in terms of mu you know from a musical point of view if you look at something like death spell amiga you know there's not many musicians in any genre that could outplay those guys but at the same time you have something like i don't know early let's say early emperor or early beherit and it's no less black metal and it's no less impressive where it's completely primitive but it kind of uh it taps into the same it taps into the same energy and the same atmosphere and the same sense of uh, summoning or communion with something that's greater than yourself, whether you call that, you know, Satan, or whether you call that uh, nature or, you know, where, wherever your perspective is, it's about something. There's that feeling of being, um, yeah, communion or being made aware of something greater than yourself. I think that's kind of the key to black metal. Um and yeah, it can be very, um, you know, it's just so much, so much uh, contradiction. And, you know, on the one hand, black metal is incredibly conservative. There's, you know, there's always bands coming up, even bands of young kids who are making music, in which is totally in worship of, you know, pioneers that came before in the 80s and 90s. But at the same time, there's always black metal, which is breaking the boundaries and completely experimental. And it's like neither of those is more or less uh, true to the core of black metal. You know, it's it's kind of this 
it's kind of this massive energy that's pulling in different directions and that's what makes it interesting i think you know i listen to all kinds of music all genres of music pretty much and all genres of metal as, as well and i think that's what would be what set black metal apart in a way is that every year there's a band which kind of expands your perception of what black metal could be um but at the same time no style of black metal really goes out of fashion you know like if you're if you listen to hip-hop you might really like 80s groups like public enemy but when you meet people who listen to public enemy they're not the same guys that are listening to like playboy carty or chief keith it's like there's this generational division whereas in black metal uh the the, you know the the teenager who's got into black metal recently is listening to mayhem and the guy that's now in his mid-50s who was there in the early 80s is listening to mayhem so there's some kind of continuity and some kind of uh, universality and i think black metal is incredibly rare in that sense because i would dare to say even death metal is more uh I would say more kind of uh, compartmentalized, you know, and black metal is this kind of ever increasing, expanding universe or canon of music. And, uh, and if you're into it, you know what's black metal and what isn't. And, you know, there's a, there's a sort of essence to it, I think. Yeah. Intellectually and spiritually and emotionally, there's something that we know is black metal and, and what is, black metal adjacent or you know black metal inspired or like that yeah and it's interesting to that point too with how conservative uh the ideals toward what is black metal can be among you know fans or you know people who start bands that are more in worship of a certain style of it and then you know that just kind of juxtaposed with the personal evolutions of some of the pioneers of the genre like over the years, we've seen, you know, Gaul from Gorgoroth become the sort of like wine drinking fashion expert, you know, publicly. <laughs> and Satir is like a yeah. winemaker and Satir Khan are doing, you know, the soundtrack to Monk exhibits. And Isan is citing Nicki Minaj and Kanye as influences in a solo album. Right. I think... Um... This is a it's an interesting point because I think there's there's obviously conservative elements to black metal, but at the same time, I think objectively black metal is probably the most open-minded genre of rock or metal in terms of uh, musical expression and artistic expression. I mean, even if we just reduce black metal to, let's say, the early nineties. In fact, even if we just reduced it to Norway in the early 90s, you know, if you were to compare, let's say, Fleurity to Mysticum, to Arcturus, to Mayhem, to Dark Throne, to Burzum, to Street, you know, like every of the, you know, every one of those bands sounds completely different. And uh, you had, you know, within the first, let's say from 1991 to 96, 97, you know, you've got elements of folk music, industrial music, techno, um, drum and bass, classical music, doom metal, uh, classic rock. You know, all these elements are incorporated within bands from that era, and it's only got bigger since then. 
And I, you know, I would ask kind of what genre can compete with that. You know, if you look at death metal uh, or doom metal or, you know, whatever, I, I don't think there's many genres of music that are able to draw on different genres of music, other genres of music, and uh, let's say draw on their the strengths of those musics without diluting themselves. And I think that has to always be remembered when we talk about black metal being conservative or the fans being conservative. There is an element of that which is true, but at the same time, you know, how, you know, when you when you have bands like Vedwen's Ender, you know, which has got all these jazz influences sitting next to Blasphemy, which is this sort of very primal assault and you know there's there's a huge variety in black metal and i i don't feel comfortable with i don't feel comfortable with black metal being labeled as a conservative because this is the you know not to get too much on a rant here but this is the this is the sort of straw man that um a lot of people in the last five years especially aim at black metal because they because people will tell you rightfully so that bands like Death Heaven is not black metal and they're not black metal. Uh, you know, the reaction of people who have gone into black metal in later years is like, oh, black metal fans are, you know, narrow-minded and they won't accept, you know, these bands and, you know, what conservative narrow-minded fan base. But then if you look at the the breadth of what they the, what the black metal fan is listening to, it, it's immense, really. The typical black metal fan is, you know. Um, and it's okay to say that something is not part of the canon. It's not a criticism, you know. I think Sunbather was a really good album. It's not black metal, you know. But now you say that and people start shouting Gatekeeper and all this nonsense. And uh, and it's kind of right, it wrongly led to a... Uh, sort of righteous attack on black metal as being this very conservative uh, scene. And I don't think, I, I think that's not really an oversimplification. I think this book is testament to how broad black metal is as a culture and a music form. And uh, yeah, so there are conservative elements, but if, if, it, if that was what defined black metal, you wouldn't have Death Spell Amigo, you wouldn't have mysticum you wouldn't have whoever you know it, it's there's a surprising there's a surprising openness to new to new musical expression within black metal um even if it seems like it's very kind of reactionary and conservative that's that's not it, it it's uh it seems that way from the outside but there's there's so much more to it it's so much more complex than that you know without wanting to sound pretentious black metal is a hard genre to understand and analyze and uh that's why it's good to write books about it i guess yeah no just to back up a little bit um how did you initially get into black metal and what was sort of the pathway like for you getting to the point where you ended up writing this book because i know you you know initially had put out a zine called crypt and then uh from there you know you had your pathway up until you know where this and where you initially wrote the book like what was what was all of that like 
so I got into black metal in the bang in the middle of the 90s. Um, I was still uh, a young teenager and I stopped going to school for a while. And when I wasn't, because I wasn't at school, I would hang around uh, record stores. And the people that hung around record stores in the daytime were usually college kids because they were allowed to not, you know, they were uh, not in lessons all day. So they could, you know. And I was already into stuff like Bolt Thrower and Carcass. I'd been into that stuff since I was 12. Sepultura, uh, Paradise Lost was a big one, still is. Um, and so they would see this young kid wearing Paradise Lost t-shirt or, you know, Bolt Thrower or whatever. And some of these older kids uh, started to sort of give me black metal tapes because it's weird to say now, but like black metal, I was barely aware of black metal before I got into it. I'd seen the Krang articles, um, but without the internet and YouTube, it was quite hard to discover that stuff. And even bands like Cradle of Filth weren't necessarily in the stores. So I was getting these tapes from these older friends uh, Bands like Impale Nazarene, Gorgoroth, Hecate Enthroned, Cradle of Filth, Emperor, Gehenna, um, yeah, Dark Throne Burzum, all the bands that were kind of big in the mid-90s. And this really converted me quite quickly because I, I, I love and still love bands like Carcass and Entombed and this kind of death metal thing. But, you know, black metal had the extremity of death metal but it also had a much broader emotional uh, spectrum, I guess, or it, it used more of that spectrum. So what what stunned me when I heard black metal was not the heaviness of it, because I'd already listened to Realm of Chaos by Bolthrower and, um, you know, early Carcass and stuff. So I, so the heaviness wasn't what, it, what kind of shocked me or, or made an impact. It was more the fact that you could have this really heavy evil music but then you could also have like a you know a quiet folk passage, or a, a piano piece, or um, some classical overtures, and then back into the black you know. So it was this kind of dynamics that really excited me and made you know. And the fact that black metal, despite being the heaviest form of metal, perhaps and certainly the most sinister, it also was confident enough to have these kind of tranquil passages and you know express other emotions you know when you listen to empress nightside eclipse a lot of it's quite sinister and dark and heavy but there's other passages which probably the average pantera fan would be scratching their heads at certainly back then because it's not about rock influence it's not about heavy metal and the same with like say the first cradle of filth album you know when, if you're coming from the background of the people i was hanging around with the school who were into like pantera sepultura megadeth um, all great bands, or at least Megadeth and Sepultura. Um, but you would then, you know, for them to listen to like a piece of piano, you know, like a piano interlude, for them that would be like, what, what's this got to do with metal? So I like this open-mindedness um, and broader kind of atmosphere. So yeah, to answer your question, I got really into it at that point. Um, a little bit later, I was well, was, you know, like everyone else, I was playing in, you know, playing with friends and bands and stuff. But when I moved to London, I realised that everyone who was into metal played in a band or wanted to play in a band, and it quickly seemed less essential that I play in a band. And so I started to think about 
what the, what did the move what did the scene or the movement kind of what would it benefit more from and so i was already kind of photographing punk bands and hardcore bands so i started with photography got into uh started working for terrorizer as a photographer then i did my own fanzine and from doing that fanzine i was asked to write for krang no krang freudian slip terrorizer then metal hammer then later i was writing for record collector and so I, yeah i kind of became a, a metal journalist i guess and i was doing that for yeah i guess from like 2004 until i basically gave it up when i went full time with cult never dies but i started writing the book in 2000 the first book i started writing in 2009 released it in 2013 and I was still working regularly for Metal Hammer at that point and terrorized a little bit less, more, photogra more photography for them. Um, so I was coming at it from a kind of, I guess I was, um, you know, I did the fanzine thing and that was really where my heart was, I guess, in the sort of extreme underground and all that stuff. But then I was working for Metal Hammer and I was interviewing bands like Alice Cooper and, you know, Guns N' Roses and Coheed and Cambria and Black, you know, Black Sabbath and, um, I think that did a lot for me as a writer because the the, the it was quite a you know metal hammer the journalism was very high and and it was quite a strict um, it was a good place you know it made you a better writer and you learned to interview people uh, in a better way I guess but my heart was more in the underground and the extreme side of stuff so I guess that's where I've gravitated you know. And yeah, I, you know, I created my own publishing house, Cult Never Dies, and I guess that was an a that was um, it was kind of an aim. Uh, well, it was kind of created with the aim to cover extreme metal, black metal, underground metal, uh, with that same level of attention, that same ho hopefully very high quality, because generally the main, you know, the metal press, the, the rock press. The, the rock metal media they don't tend to give that much attention to this sort of music and uh and that's probably why i've worked you know we've we've ended up with a good relationship with decibel because you know decibel is um they're a bigger company than we are but but their hearts are you know, they're still kind of connected to the underground so we can we can talk about bands like paradise lost but we can also talk about bands like blasphemy or mysticum or whatever and uh I suppose that's what's missing from a lot of um, uh, a lot of, you know, in the UK, it's the UK is a it's a very different. It's quite hard to. I'm trying to think of a diplomatic way to say this. There, it, there isn't much space to cover extreme music within metal magazines, in the same way as there is in, say, Germany or maybe even in America there there isn't really especially now there isn't really room for that sort of content and uh uk is quite metal is a little bit of a taboo here in a funny way so i guess these books and cold never dies as a publishing house it was all sort of in some ways it was a reaction to that there was definitely a void to fill um it's a long answer to your question but yeah that was the road i took you know I, I became a normal rock metal journalist and i really appreciate that and you know it's not like you know i love kiss i love alice cooper i mean it's, 
it's not like my heart wasn't in that because um i love that stuff as well but there's a million people writing about kiss and alice cooper but there's not a million people writing about vlad Tepesh or whatever you know yeah and that that's what i saw that that's i think when cold never dies started we were basically the only publishing house that would cover this kind of material and not just cover it but cover it with the same level of sort of strictness and love that i would have covered kiss for metal hammer with you know yeah so it was taking those skills and bringing them back to back to the underground and what i would consider to be the cutting edge of heavy music really yeah it's interesting that you know metal is seen as kind of taboo in the uk given how much of a role bands from the uk have played in metal. yeah yeah i mean this is a subject i've become slightly obsessed with over the last 12 months to a year 12 months to a year 12 months to two years um but black metal yeah you know although it's the most obvious example of it actually metal as a whole is quite taboo in the uk considering that we gave the world black sabbath iron maiden judas priest uh, venom you know whoever you want to name but if you lived in the uk you would know what i mean because for example um Okay, to give an example, I think most people can recognize Black Sabbath as being kind of ground zero for black, you know, for metal, uh, extreme metal, heavy metal, whatever, whatever. Um, but they were really not recognized or celebrated in this country by the media at all until their 50th anniversary. On their 50th anniversary, uh, Birmingham had a, a museum um, stroke exhibition uh, dedicated to this and celebrating their 50 years. And there was also a bridge in uh, Birmingham named after Black Sabbath. And but it took 50 years. And, you know, Iron Maiden is I think I can't remember what year it was, but it was within the last few years. Iron Maiden were in the papers for being the biggest earning band from the UK because they'd done a world tour and they would essentially made the most, you know, made, made the most money or contributed to the economy most. But you'll never see Iron Maiden in the papers the way that you would see, let's say, Satyricon or Mayhem in the papers in uh, Norway, or the way that metal is covered in Germany or, you know, uh, Finland or Sweden. It's like, it is taboo here. And it's even taboo amongst the people that are, um, I would dare to say, it's even taboo amongst the people that are supposedly working in the metal industry to the extent that you're more likely to read about ah who knows like uh i don't know you're more likely to read about what a member of slipknot thinks or uh baby metal or ghost in the metal media than you are a metal a proper metal band you know because they're not you know most people who work in the metal media here are not that into metal they're into some heavy music but they're not into like if we consider metal to be i would consider metal to be defined by a sort of amalgamation of you know a number of subgenres, classic metal you know new wave of british heavy metal let's say death metal doom metal black metal you know whatever most of the people that cover metal in the media in this country are not into any of that stuff at all. You know, they have no interest in it. So everything gets sort of sidelined and um, 
and again that's where cold never dies came in i suppose was an attempt to to create media for people that weren't plugged into the media if you like or weren't necessarily um being catered for and uh, that's why i think we found our niche and i think that's why why we've been able to continue doing this because there were a lot of people that were looking for quality content about music and art that's kind of on the boundaries and on the periphery. And I hope that's, you know, I, I think that we hopefully, uh, we create something of quality for those people. You know, it's, it's never going to be for everyone what we do. And black metal is, you know, that's a perfect reflection of that. Black metal isn't for everyone, but for the people that are into it, that it, it's it's so much there to explore. And um, yeah, I think that's that's sort of how metal is in a lot of countries. But you would think that the UK would be maybe more like the rest of Europe, where metal is kind of celebrated in a more mainstream way. Um, but it's not like that at all. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that really sticks out to me about uh, the black metal book is that it's been praised by a lot of uh, the artists within the genre. Um, but, you know, traditionally, the genre has also at times had a reputation for being kind of insular. Um, when it came to interviewing uh, some of the musicians and gaining their trust uh, for this project, um, how did you go about doing that for you know, anyone who might have been a little bit skeptical of what your intentions were? It was tough the first time around. You know, the, the biggest difference between doing the original version of the book and doing this new version was that uh, it was so much harder first time around to get interviews and to get people to open up. Even though I was working, you know, seven days a week, 14 hours a day on the new project, it moved really quickly because if I had a question, I could just phone up most of the people or message them on Facebook or, you know, message them on WhatsApp. And I knew them at this point, you know, like I'd worked with them. Obviously, we do merchandise for Ulva, Rotting Christ, Mysticum, Beheret, uh, Mork, uh, you know, a whole load of bands. And we're also involved in festivals like Cosmic Void. So a lot of these people I kind of, had a relationship with anyway you know some of them were good friends but some of them were just business business partners it, it makes it sound like we're making lots of money but you know collaborators or whatever you want to call it but the first time around it was very tough because when I wrote started writing the book in 2009 I didn't know a lot of these people personally and a lot of them were very scared because of what basically the Lords of Chaos book not to not to you know shit on that but a lot of people I interviewed were basically saying we don't want to do anything that's like Lords of Chaos, and so I and you know they didn't really know I, I didn't have something to show them. Whereas now it's very easy because I have like seven books. So if someone says like, "What kind of book are you going to?" You know, "What's this going to be used for? How's it going to be?" I can just send them a copy of one of the old books. And a lot of the a lot of the time, you know, obviously I, we see all the names on the web store. A lot of the people that buy our products are from name bands, basically. So I knew that they'd read our stuff and they were already familiar with it. And that just made like 
a world of difference in terms of kind of being on the same page, no pun intended. But the first time around, it was like I really had to, I had to go into so much depth kind of trying to get them to imagine what it was going to be like. So I, I you know, I knew what this book was going to be like, but there was an element of trust needed that I wasn't going to try and sort of sensationalize or stitch these stitch these bands up, basically. Um, but it helped that I'd done Terrorizer and the fanzine, because a lot of these guys I knew from doing the fan, you know, like the um, Blasphemer from Mayhem. You know, I'd interviewed him when I was still at college doing my fanzine, so I kind of had that. He'd, you know, I'd done an interview with him, he'd seen it in print, and he, he liked it. So there was that level of trust. And then you could get him to, you know, could you mention to this guy in this band that I did a good job and I'd like to interview him as well. So it was kind of, there was a lot of that, you know, talking to people I was friends with and saying, could you put a good word in with, you know, whoever it would be. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of it just came down to that, really personal contacts and... Um, uh it just got easier as it went on because you know if you've done an interview with 20 people and you come to the 21st person they know some of those 20 people they can say oh it was a good experience you know this guy's into the music and and it's quite obvious that i'm into black metal i'm not you know if you look at some of the people that wrote previous books or made previous documentaries or wrote previous articles they're clearly from the outside looking in i'm not saying that's always a bad thing but it's much easier to make mistakes when you're like that and you're, you're in that position. And it's very obvious that I'm, you know, I'm from the same world, if you like, you know. Um, and I think that's really what makes the difference. And I think that's probably why the book has had such unusually good response from people from bands is that it was more it was more like a collaborative process you know nothing was done it wasn't like me looking in at them in the zoo you know it was more like us talking over time and swapping ideas and um yeah it was just it's just not that kind of outsider relationship you know some of these guys have ended up releasing records by and putting on gigs for and going on tour with or just becoming friends with it was just there was just that there wasn't that distance, you know, and I hope, I would hope for the reader, you, you know, I think that's very obvious. There's not that distance between the writer. And this isn't just for me, like the other books we publish, for example, we do the Doom Metal Lexicanum. The writer of that book, those books, he's clearly from the Doom scene and in love with Doom and he knows the people. So I would hope that with all our books, you, you just see that there's not this distance between the writer and the... Uh, interviewee the artist and there's not even a distance between the writer and the reader you know this is kind of this is it's not that bigger it's not that bigger world not that bigger scene and if the people that are reading our books are most likely from the same scene as we are we're from the same scene as the bands you know there's there's um it's it's uh it's intimate in that sense and i, I you know i hope all our books convey that intimacy so it's not that sense of some guy looking in saying oh what are they up to you know it's not about that yeah yeah I mean one of my uh favorite examples of you know that sort of thing where uh the, the story is approached more from the perspective of someone looking in on someone almost like you're 
viewing a person in like a zoo is um and this isn't to shit on you know this this project or on vice or anything but in the mid-2000s there was the vice uh true norwegian black metal like video where they went to norway and interviewed gal yeah (laughs) notorious piece of uh yeah i think that's um and no hate to vice because they were quite supportive but um that piece was a good example of what we didn't want to do you know what we've never been about really is is um yeah where you're sort of like look at these crazy you know like just look at them you know that kind of approach (laughs) it's not like that and um not that i and that doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything that every band says you know it's not like um it's not like we represent everything that we report on or talk about in our books if not every opinion that a band comes out with that is from black metal has to align with ours but still there's a there's an understanding you know there's a general understanding and a kind of a shared i guess a shared language to want you know for want of a better term there's a shared uh world view in some way and uh i think you need that if you're going to dig into anything you know like if you want to read about uh, if i wanted to read a book about the insides of you know the banking world i wouldn't be the person to write it because i've not come from that i'd want to read it from somebody who was in that world and I think that's the same for music journalism and especially about black metal where it is quite closed. You need people that are at least, yeah, with yeah, within that world. And I think um and I think that's another thing with the book, is that it's aimed to be a good read for people that aren't in this world as well, you know, for people who are interested in black metal, but not yet well versed in it. It has to be interesting for them as much as it is for the person who's been into black metal for 40 years. And that was one of the nicest reviews, you know, we got was from um, like Roy from Imhotep fanzine. You know, he's been writing about black metal longer than me. He was doing it in the early 90s. He's been there ever since, a bit older than me. You know, and he was saying, I read this book and discovered loads of new things. So when somebody I know has been full time into black metal since the 90s and he's learning something, then I know that it's doing a good job. But at the same time, because it's got that intimacy, I think the book is also very good for people who are interested in black metal, but not yet well versed because it is straight from the horse's mouth. And and, um, so hopefully it's, you know, that's the spectrum. It's for people from the new who are new to it and people who are well versed and hopefully everything in between it's definitely definitely that's how it's written it's not just for people who are from this world but it, it but it includes those people and and hopefully gives them and i'm sure it does give because i you know i've been into this scene since the mid 90s and so i know when a new piece of information comes up i know it's new because i've read a million fanzines i love this stuff and so when i ask a question and i hear something like you know my ears prick up the alarms go off and i said i think like i've been into this band for you know 25 years and i've never heard them talk about that so i kind of know that i'm not just retreading the same old stories 
and black metal for a long time black metal journalism was just retreading the same old stories you know church burnings you know suicide and all that stuff and that's important it's important to talk about those things but when that becomes the when that becomes the whole story you just lose out on on so much you know so much quality content really yeah and um was there anyone that you interviewed for the book that um you know was maybe particularly difficult to gain the trust of not really uh, in a boring, you know, the boring answer is there were people, there were quite a few people first time around that I had to email quite a few times to sort of spell out what I was trying to do. But when we got to the point where I was actually talking to people face to face or on the phone, it, I think in every case at that point it opened up. You know, there were there was no there was no cases where we started doing interviews and then they weren't sure. It was kind of, I was very specific about spelling out what the book was going to be and what it wasn't going to be. And maybe I was a little bit strategic in terms of asking friends in the scene to talk to other people, you know, like I'm trying to, like, um, I already knew people like, um, I was friends with the guys from Mysticum and Ulva. And so if I wanted to get someone from Gehenna, maybe I'd ask a friend from Ulva to mention it to them and, so it was quite organic in that sense. There was no, there wasn't a huge amount of, and some people that actually you would think, for example, Necro Butcher is often kind of famous for being maybe skeptical of outsiders in the media, but it, we worked together almost from the start of the process of doing the book, and he was very open at that time. So actually, there wasn't really all the convincing. I kind of. I would just go full on, you know, when I first approached someone, I'd be like, the book's not going to be like these books. It's not going to be about this. It's not going to be sensationalist. Here's what it's about. Um, here's some mutual friends of ours that know my work. Ask, you know, like I went in with the, with this assumption that everyone would say no and just uh, was pleasantly surprised. And when it comes to the evolution of the genre, um, what are some of the most interesting, I guess, sort of recent developments that you've seen uh, in the direction of, of black metal? It's um, <clears throat> a good question. Um, I think objectively, black metal's most interesting development period was probably 1980 to the late 2000s and that's not to say that new black metal you know i'm not i don't want to sound like an old grumpy old man <laughs> but i think a lot of stuff has you know black metal was so experimental in its early days and i think that was partly because of euronymous's very uh open-minded attitude in terms of music even though he was very, very dogmatic and specific about ideology and so on and clothes and all the rest of it he always promoted this you know very open-minded approach to the musical side of it and i think that had a bigger i would dare to say that you know euronymous of arg and dead were probably the most influential people in the 90s in terms of kind of the initial explosion and and their views of therefore echoed into the culture of black metal um, and I think that open-mindedness meant that there was an extreme amount of uh, experimentation early on in the genre. You know, 
maybe a bit different to some genres where it starts off fairly uniform and then starts to splinter out in a way black metal even in the even before the 90s you know if you compare say master's hammer with vaughn with rotting christ with um sodom or whatever you know these are very different expressions and uh so yeah i guess in more recent years i would dare to say the experimentation it's maybe slowed a little bit because there's less new ground that it's harder to be original after 40 years you know um i think definitely uh i would say i would go back and say like bands like death spell amiga in the 2000s were kind of showing that you could be you could still create a new sound that was you know undeniably black metal i think at the moment there's a lot of good black metal and i suppose a band like cult of fire might be an example of a band that's doing something fresh in a way <coughs> even though it's obviously inspired by the, the the older music the aesthetics and the music at some degree is original because it takes on these eastern elements um so i think there's bands in that sense who are still original but i maybe there's not so much maybe there's not so much originality as there was 10 or 20 years ago maybe i i, I don't want to sound too cynical but that would be my feeling was you know it's a bit harder to be original now. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, maybe the last thing that really stood out to me as far as an evolution of the sound, um, and even this was kind of building off of, you know, what you mentioned earlier with the industrial elements that have been, you know, mixed into some forms of black metal over the years too. But in the um, late 2000s, early 2010s, uh, there was, you know, the wave of sort of psychedelic black metal like Noctmistium and uh, bands like that. And then more recently, something that's kind of caught my eye is the um, sort of influx of Native American black metal bands. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I'm not sure. <clears throat> so I think probably the last or the more, in recent years, I guess what's interesting is maybe not so much musical innovation within black metal but it's and there are bands that are still innovative for sure <clears throat> dot heimsgard would be a good example dot heimsgard have been there since the mid 90s started off as a very traditional black metal band excuse me um and that you know the last album they released was unlike anything else and the album before that was unlike anything else so you know there are bands that are still cutting edge but i would dare to say now maybe the more interesting thing or the more uh the more notable thing is that uh, to, you know to take the example there is you know there is cultures and demographics but entering black metal that probably hadn't before and i always felt it would make sense for there to be native american black metal because they were really the last pagans to be conquered by christian imperialism you know 
so they really have a you know there's a there's definitely a um there's definitely a consistency there of ideology and history and so on some of the native american bands i would dare to say are not that original musically they're clearly taking music from a 1990s european template adding their own spin to it nothing wrong with that um So yeah, I think it's more like that. It's more like bands are coming up now in, in territories that maybe we, we haven't seen before and adding their own spin to it. But I just would dare to say that there's nothing quite as groundbreaking as there was in the previous two, two decades. You know, the, the 90s and the 2000s saw so many breakthroughs and, you know, ambient black metal, folk black metal, industrial black metal, yada, yada. It, you know, I don't think it's so much about that at the moment. I think it's more about bands putting their own twist on things. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I'm sure there'll be stuff that we can't even predict right now in the next five years. Well, I think that's actually what's exciting about black metal is that there'll always be this traditional element to it, but there'll also always be bands springing up that you couldn't have predicted. But even though you couldn't have predicted them, they're undeniably black metal. They've captured the, the essence of it, you know. Yeah, uh, I think that's what's exciting about the scene. Yeah, and um, I've had you for about an hour now, so I don't want to take up too much of your evening. I know it's pretty late there, um, but is there anything else that you want to put out there? Um, <clears throat> well, thank you, anyone who's who's made it this far. Uh, I think anyone that's interested in what we do, not only for the new book, but also as a publishing house. Uh, they might want to take a look at uh, www.cultneverdies.com. Uh, I think uh, I think it's not, a, how can I put this in not a non-pretentious way? I think it's very good that people are making programs like yourself and that there is a culture of um, people wanting to celebrate this music and art in a kind of thoughtful you know in depth in depth would be the key word in in-depth way you know I, I suppose uh cult never dies the new book everything that we've done is it's definitely against the superficial it's the one thing that i can't be dealing with is this sort of superficial approach to music and culture and i think for a long time um there was a very superficial approach to documenting this sort of music and talking about this sort of music. And I think it's, uh, I would dare to say black metal evolution of the cult is a totem for, let's say, cult never dies as a collective of people who are trying. And, you know, this video, you know, I do all the interviews for cult never dies, but I don't want to represent, you know, I don't want to, I don't want um, people to think that it's just me doing all the work. There's, you know, there's about 10 of us there's full-time mail order people and you know there's there's other editors other writers and i think cold never dies is kind of a totem for trying to uh, celebrate this kind of extreme uncompromising art and culture in a in a sort of in-depth and thoughtful way and uh yeah it's nice to be allowed to rant about that on a program like this and kind of uh, 
you go equally in depth you know albeit on a friday night after a few beers <laughs> yeah and uh just thanks again for taking the time dale and uh everyone check out uh black metal the evolution of the cult uh through the decibel web store here in the states or through cult never dies uh elsewhere and i should add the decibel have quite a few of our other books so if you're in america and you want to see read about dungeon synth or death metal or they have uh We've got a good partnership where they take our our goods into the uh, for the U.S. market, and we we uh, we bring some of their books to the European market. And yeah, there's um, it's not just about black metal, but yeah, Decibel Cult Never Dies. This is it's uh, a good source of in-depth reading material for underground metal. Let's say. Yeah. Thanks, Dale. Thank you.